Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Texans' season comes to a close in Baltimore, but there's hope on the horizon. We're going to talk about that and more on this edition of The Bullpen. I'm James Roy, and with me is Tom Chabria. Tom, what a what a season the Texans have had. It's had ups, downs, but it, it ended pretty. I I don't I don't want to say disappointing. I I mean it's it's nice to see what the Texans did this season. But where are you at mentally after that loss to the Ravens and how it all went down? Mentally, I'm exactly where I told you I would be in the last episode. Exactly where I told all of these fans where I would be the last couple of weeks. I'm incredibly excited about the future. I understand it didn't end the way we wanted it to end. It was going to be really difficult for these Texans to do what a lot of people hoped for them to do was to go on the road and beat two elite teams that had been here before, had been in these wars before. I mean, Lamar had done this a a few times before. Obviously, the last remaining teams, there's some veterans to the playoffs. The Texans, and and, uh, besides the fact that their kids are young, the, the team as a whole just hasn't had that playoff environment, I mean, in, at least in the last five years. So um, I'm just so impressed with this team. I mean, the, the, the game wasn't the way we wanted it to go. A half of it was. I felt really comfortable at halftime. But um, I understood that the better team won. And a lot of credit has to go to the Baltimore Ravens. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was definitely a David and Goliath story. Um, I definitely, with that in mind, I think that's the perfect metaphor because, you know, knowing what I know now, um, I definitely had reason to be optimistic about the matchup, but, you know, David and Goliath is, is a rare occurrence. It's not what happens every time. Um, sometimes Goliath comes out with the victory really more times than not. And so, um, looking at this matchup, I, you can't talk about this matchup without talking about C.J. Stroud because that's just been the story the whole season with the Texans. Um, with what he did today, 
where where are you i don't want to say assigning blame but do you think that that it's you know cj's fault or do you think that there's like contributing factors where where are you chalking this up to in terms of the offensive production and how cj stroud looked against the ravens i think the offense was a little predictable because of the fact that i myself personally really underestimated the baltimore ravens rush defense the texans had literally zero production from the running backs and i i think they just got to a point where it got so one-dimensional baltimore was able to tee off i think a lot of the plays that were designed were designed for somewhere that was a little further than it needed to be i felt like they didn't check it down enough the tight ends weren't involved enough they were but they, i mean they were but at the same time i feel like it was still a 10 12 14 15 yard route and um, Bobby Slogan talked about the intermediate stuff being a, a big focal point of what he wanted to do with his offense. And I think they just didn't get to that. A lot of that had to do with being behind the sticks, being behind and down in distance. you know. And I'm not just talking about the penalties. Yes, a lot of people will want to harp on the penalties. That was very critical. Um, this Texan team, in my opinion, just finally had a game where they just made some, some mistakes that you expect from a young team that we've come to not expect from this team. When you talk about some of the the flags, the, the pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball, it just really made it so tough for this team to compete with a team that was so well-coached and, and really looked like the team that was the number one seed, the team that was supposed to be there. Um, a lot of credit to those guys as far as being able to get what they wanted when they needed to. Um I mean, there was third and five, third and six. You saw Lamar do it with his legs. You saw Lamar do it with his arm. And uh, for the Texans, they just needed to get off the field one or two more times, in my opinion, and it didn't happen. And on the offensive side of the ball, I just felt like the the drives weren't sustaining, weren't being sustained enough because it was it was very predictable. I mean, I I agree with you. I spoke to it on our preview episode. This Texans offense has relied very heavily on explosive plays. So to to watch them go out um, early on, the pass rush was getting to CJ Stroud too soon. There was a couple of plays where you saw Nico break on a route and like the play just needed the time to develop because Nico was there, but CJ by that point had already been accosted by the pass rush. So th- there was no reasonable expectation of him to see Nico when the opportunity was there. And I think that one one thing I'll point out that I think was major was that there was a there was a point briefly in late in the second half where and and I'll talk about this from both sides right so from Bobby Slowick's perspective there was an adjustment made where they were bringing more blockers in to to you know kind of satiate the the Ravens pass rush and give uh, C J Stroud that time and when C J Stroud had that time there was a brief period where he carved up the Ravens defense got the Texans you know down the field and they they ended up you know kicking a field goal right so there there was that and there was other drives where the movement happened and they stalled at or just outside of field goal range and decided to punt and so with that they they kind of got some momentum from those plays and then they didn't continue to do that they they continued to believe that five offensive linemen with no other help were going to be able to block this Ravens pass rush and give CJ the time he needed. And any defense that has played the Texans this season will tell you the Texans are a pass to open the run team. They're one dimensional. And and I agree with you that it's huge that they fixed the the run game. The run game was kind of non existent. 
Um, but to that point, it looked like the offense made an adjustment and then just decided, no, we're not going to do that. And I mean, the same thing happened late in the second half. Um, John Crumpler put out data about when you rush six plus pass rushers on Lamar Jackson and how he performs and his success rate on plays in general just plummets when you when you actually bring a blitz. The Texans do not blitz super often, but late, you know, in the second quarter, it seemed like they just blitzed every other play and uh, they 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 brought it. And Lamar felt that. And the te- that's what kept the Texans in the game going into halftime was simply put the ability to apply that pressure to Lamar Jackson and keep the Texans, you know, keep the Ravens offense at bay while the Texans, you know, needed that time to figure out what was going on offensively. So I feel like adjustments were made in the game. And then the second half, they just sort of abandoned this attack, you know, Lamar Jackson mentality. And and there was plenty of plays where it felt like they probably should have brought more pressure on him. And the initial rush got to him or missed him by a little bit. You um, you talk about like Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson constantly getting caught up field against a quarterback that will literally tear you up for that. Um, it just was a recipe for what ended up happening in the second half. I mean, a defense can only hold an offense like that at bay for so long without any offensive success. Because uh, remember, the Texans didn't score any offensive touchdowns. That touchdown was, you know, practice squad Steven Sims stepping up and and doing his very best and taking a punt all the way to the house, 69 yards. So that, I think, was really what did the Texans in, was the lack of offensive production, and the defense just could only hold for so long. But looking at the defensive side of the ball, since I've had my opportunity to talk about it, do what do you feel was the weak point in terms of the defense? What what changed between the first and second half that, that allowed the Ravens to suddenly just uncork it and open up? I really feel like the edge being set was a big deal. Initially, early on, they were able to set the edge, and then Lamar was doing some damage through the middle. And then they got they got a handle on the middle, and then Lamar would get out in space on the edge. And it, whether it was a run or pass or whatever, uh, there was a couple different times where they took advantage of, of edge rushers trying to get upfield a little bit like you spoke to, and then just running to that side or you know a uh, quarterback – designed run to that side and um it's just really tough it's just really tough Lamar Jackson is a host of problems and the minute he starts to get his his thing going he started running the rock the way he does I mean you really there's no there's no down where he can't do it third and five third and six he can still go get seven or eight you know what I mean so I mean there's a reason this team was the number one seed and they were able to do so so many great things. Uh, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I could point to one guy, I could point to one thing. It just seemed like there was so much going on. I really felt like watching this game that this was like a learning experience for the Texans. And I really feel like a, a little bit of their youth started to show a little bit, whether it was in the coaching ranks, whether it was on the field. It was just, okay, this is the first time for – everyone on that team with the exception of five or six guys uh, getting, getting legitimate exposure to a playoff game on the road in a hostile environment. Uh, You spoke a little bit. We we got together pregame about the weather. You know, I'm sure that played a factor as well, but I I will not say that they just can't go in and win in a cold weather environment. Um, But I mean, I really, I really feel like this team was going to struggle somewhere. We, we've, we've talked about it all season long. And 
They've had instances where they bend but didn't break. They kept their team in football games. The defense just let go of the rope in the second half for me. And uh, I think a lot of that had to do with Lamar. I think a lot of that had to do with the play calling on that side. A, a ton of credit Kudos to those guys. Kudos to their guys. offensive coordinator. He did a great job. I mean, there was that one play. So the Texans had not really set a spy on Lamar as often as they probably should have. There was one play where they set uh, Blake Cashman as the spy. And that was the play right before they ran for that. Or they ran for a t- the touchdown that put it two scores, I, I want to say. Um, Lamar just did a... It, at first, it looked like he... he looked and didn't see anything and ran but it was obviously uh, upon looking at the replay a designed qb run and they literally had the the running back run up the middle and take on blake cashman and from there there was no one there to stop lamar jackson it, like they got lucky that they stopped him from scoring that touchdown i think he got him like four yards short but kudos to the raven the ravens offensive coordinator made all the adjustments he needed to whenever D'Amico decided to make an adjustment and the only thing that seemed to work was bringing pressure um in excessive amounts and I, I think that the Texans much like you know early in the season we'd watch the offense and say why aren't they letting CJ Stroud pass the ball more they're really committed to the run and I think that at points they kind of like showed us what the blitz could do to Lamar and then they said but we're committed to being a team that doesn't do that so we don't need to do that and and I agree it's nice to have the luxury of of rushing for and getting pressure on the quarterback and not having to blitz every you know any amount of downs to like get pressure but this was the game to to let it all loose and do it but i mean i it's just a frustrating game all around but i i think you spoke to it the ravens they're the number one seed i mean they they beat the number one seed in the other conference very brutally during the regular season they are very easily the best team in football and so i mean i i like to think i'm a very optimistic person and and i talked myself into believing the texans had a really good chance in this matchup and there was a lot of things that had to go right and it felt like none of them did except for you know the special teams and that brings up a good discussion I, I posted about it on twitter but i'd like to get your take on it um there's been a lot of buzz around bobby Slowick getting hired to another team he has like he had three interviews the day after the game and uh or and then uh he had two like the friday before um or something like i think it was thursday um but Frank Ross has been on the Texans coaching staff since David Culley. He he got retained through all of those regimes because he's done such an excellent job with his Texans special teams unit. And once again, the only production we really got out of the Texans in this game was special teams. Do you think that because he's a special teams coordinator, it's getting in the way of him possibly getting that notoriety and visibility for head coaching positions because... John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. That's where he cut his teeth in the NFL. Do you, do you think that there's another step that Frank Ross needs to take? Or, I mean, how do you feel about it? I don't know. I was going to point out when you brought it up, John Harbaugh and how he went straight from special teams coach to head coach, and he's thrived in that position. I personally, I hope they, they overlook him. I hope he stays the Texans special team uh, coordinator because – He's looked really, really good. The special teams this year has been really, really good. They've taken guys like Steve Sims. They've taken guys like uh, Damian Pierce and made them return guys when their quote-unquote de facto return guys were either hurt or injured or, or hurt or, you know, they, they didn't feel like they, they weren't getting it done. I think Robert Woods was the return guy for the long time, and then they kind of 
paved the way for Damian Pierce and Steve Sims with some extra speed, some extra juice, Robert Woods being a little older. So a lot of credit goes to Frank Ross and all of that. I mean, I can't think of a return against the Texans this year either. And they, they, they successfully uh, recovered an onside kick as well. So, I mean, I think Frank Ross did an amazing job. And I wouldn't be surprised if somebody comes for him at some point in time. I, I agree with you, and it and it brings up an interesting point. One of the big knocks on hiring D'Amico Ryans in this past hiring cycle for the Texans is that as a defensive-minded head coach, the the carousel, the coaching carousel will come for your offensive coordinator if he's good. And it could be one year, two years, but if he's pro- if he's producing, even if it's just CJ Skill or however you want to play what's happening in Houston, Bobby Slowick is interviewing for like seven different head coaching openings. I think there's only one that he hasn't interviewed for, and that's because I think the Chargers are really pushing hard for uh, Jim Harbaugh. But looking at Frank Ross and looking at John Harbaugh, that I, I think that's been a detriment to the Ravens over this time is that Lamar Jackson has been subjugated to you know the the carousel. I, I can't speak to it factually because I did not look at who how long each has been their coordinator, but I know that there was a stretch where Lamar kind of felt boxed in by the offensive coordinator. And there was a change there that really helped him out. And so with that, not only do you have to worry about your offensive coach cycling out, but you have to worry about finding a new defensive coach if the defense does well, um, unless you suddenly learn how to start calling plays and, and in, installing your offense or your defense, whichever one you decide to do. But I think that's why Frank Ross hasn't gotten the notoriety that he has is because it's just so incredibly hard in this league once you start doing good at one thing or another to maintain coordinators and if you have that problem with both coordinators, you're just in you're in for a rough ride going forward. And so, I mean, kudos to, to John Harbaugh for holding down a job as a special teams coordinator who has probably had to cycle through coordinators on both sides of the ball throughout his career. Um, but that brings up my next discussion. So we've kind of, I mean, it was a blowout. The game was not super great once the second half hit and Lamar really turned on the Jets. So it brings up a discussion topic. You you hinted at it. We talked about it before the show. I'd like to talk about it now, if you will. Um, but it's my firm belief that, you know, I think the Texans could make a playoff run without being the one seed or without, like, having home field advantage in the divisional round. But, man, do I think it, like, just exponentially increases their chances of, of making that run if they can play all their games in NRG throughout the playoffs. I, I think it's it's huge. I think that, um, and, and one of the reasons I think that, I, and it's going to sound lame, I'm not going to lie, but, you know, cold weather football has not been the Texans' forte throughout their history. And teams like the Dolphins this year, another example of teams that go into cold weather environments, producing at a high clip rate on offense and just get just stalemated right when, as soon as they step foot into that stadium because it's cold, there's you know, snow or whatever's going on, whatever external conditions. Um, I think there's more to it than that, but I think that that one factor alone has such huge weight on the Texans' ability to press into the playoffs. But I, I'm going to let you go ahead and let the people know how you feel about my thoughts on this. I think it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a horrible take. I think that... He called me a sissy. He said that I was weak. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that... Uh, playoff football is playoff football. You're playing the best teams. So cold weather, warm weather, whatever the case may be, 
I don't think that you can say, well, a team can't go on the road and win a playoff game. A team can't go into cold weather because they're a dome team and win a playoff game. I think it's an easy cop-out. That's all I think it is. I mean, all these players come from all these different locations. You know, they play cold weather football. It's not, I mean, CJ Stroud played at Ohio State. Ohio State's outdoor. It's in the cold. I, I can't put a blame on that. Do they get comfortable being in a dome? Sure. Do they, do, does the uh, acclimation probably take them a little longer? Yes. But is it a, is it a, a detriment to them being able to win a football game? To me, no. I, I mean, maybe maybe snow because you know traction, maybe rain because you know grip, something like that. Give me that. The fact that it's just cold, I, I, I can't, I can't. For me, I can't. Well, I mean, I, and there's more to it than just that, right? So I, I told you earlier, um, the other part of it was listening to the broadcast, I immediately felt the presence of the, the Ravens crowd through the broadcast, which is, which is strange to me because there's a lot of home stadiums that are like, you know, exceptionally loud and they talk about it. But like through the broadcast, sometimes you just don't get that. But throughout the entire game, there was points where they were so loud in the stadium that I was having trouble hearing what Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were saying about the game. And so I think another part of that, too, the, of the home field advantage, and I think as Texans fans, we know the Texans have, have made Houston a place in the times when they've been good, right? I'm not going to speak to the, the two or three years prior to now since they didn't really do a lot of winning at all, let alone in Houston. Um but when when this team is good, they feed off the energy that the H Town crowd brings in NRG. That's there's no doubt about that. And other teams have struggled to play in NRG when the crowd is there and and pumping in the noise, right? So I think that those two factors combine the weather and that it. And I don't want it to sound like I'm not just saying like oh cold. It got a little cold, right? Like we're talking. It was 17 degrees with wind chills in the in the single digits, like. And a lot of those guys don't, they, they're just wearing like their normal uniform. Sometimes they don't even put on sleeves. So, I mean, I, I hate blame. I hate trying to find blame in anything at the end of the day. I'll, I'll say it right now. The Texans went into Baltimore. They didn't play good. And it's what D'Amico will tell you. He said it in his press conference, you know, they made too many mistakes. They did. They didn't play the right brand of football. They didn't do what they needed to do. They didn't take care of business. And because of that, the Texans are now sitting on their couch getting ready to see if any of them are going to play in the Pro Bowl because they're alternates for a lot of positions for guys that are going to go on on Super Bowl Sunday and and play in Las Vegas so they don't have time to play in the Pro Bowl because they've got other plans on that, you know, that week before um, you know, in terms of getting ready for that game. But at, at the end of the day, you can't act like it didn't play any role. Like and so that that's where I'm coming from from my perspective is is to say that in the future I think that this Texans team will improve in a lot of ways other than their ability to play in cold weather um, with all the cap space they have the the this off season super exciting and we at the bullpen are super excited to bring you off season content about this team um, that isn't going to be centered around whether or not they're picking you know which quarterback at the number two overall pick that was. That was quite the tenuous offseason talking about that. And there, there's a little less, I don't want to I don't say less, but there's there's not quite as much pressure on the Texans with what they're doing this offseason draft-wise and and uh, and cap-wise. There's just there's a little bit more room for error, although I think that it's important that they really knock it out of the park. But 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't want it to just be, oh, James thinks that they, they were playing in the cold weather. So they, that's why they lost because it was a little cold. But I'll tell you, I've been outside in single digit weather and I would have trouble doing a lot of things at the same time. Like a quarterback has to do, um, with all that cold on my mind and my skin and my whole entire body. But I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Um, looking ahead to this off season, just doing a brief preview. I posted a mock draft. Um, we've talked about it at points before, and I think that it's more nuanced than just looking at this Texans team and going, they should do this. Like I made a mock draft. I put Kool-Aid McKinstry as the Texans number one pick in, uh, at 23 in the first round. Um, which is a, co- a cornerback and, and that assumes a couple things like Steven Nelson, not coming back. Um, at, at least in my mind. Um, and there's a lot of other picks that are made in mock drafts, but looking at it now, if you're looking today based off what you think the Texans should do, what position are you going in the first round of the draft? It's so early. It's so hard for me. Um, I feel like some of those questions really need to be answered because what I could say could sound incredibly dumb two weeks from now. Well, let's uh, give it some clarity. Just like who, you know, just clarify your answer based off who you think they're going to keep or drop. Um, I think what you said makes it makes a lot of sense. It would be probably, probably a good selection. I wonder what they're going to do with safety. Um, That's another thing that I asked because when I was making that mock draft, um, that safety out of Miami was available at that pick. And I was thinking to myself, Houston Carlson, great depth piece. I don't know if he's a starter moving forward. Um, Jalen Petrie has had his fair share of struggles. Jimmy Ward would be great if he could just stay on the field. Um, and so with all that in mind, safety might be, and that, that was a position. Someone made a mock draft really early in the season. And I told them, I, I thought to myself, I don't think I actually replied, but I looked and I said, how dumb do you have to be to put a safety as the Texans first round pick in this draft? And now that pick does not look like a bad idea at all. So, yeah, I mean, I think the secondary is just the position that's going to be just looking early on. Right. I think a lot of these simulators, don't they're just throwing random players at random teams at this point. So it's not a good metric for what teams actually need. But I think it's fair to say that at that point in the draft that the, the secondary or the edge position are positions that will have talent that's worth taking. So if the Texans don't trade back, um, even though even if they re-sign Jonathan Grenard um, and Derek Barnett, I think it's fair to say they could just go best player available, and that could end up being D-line, um, like defensive edge rusher, or in the secondary, which are you know honestly all valid needs. I'd say that if I'm looking, I could name a lot of positions the Texans could drastically improve at based off of how they played this past season over the course of the whole season. Um, but I didn't mean to spring that on you like that. I know you hadn't had, I, I've barely gotten into looking at the draft. We've, we've been very clear on the bullpen. We are a don't talk about the mock drafts until after the season has ended. So this is the first we're really getting in depth on it at all, but you'll, you can expect to hear more about that throughout the off season. Um, and that kind of brings me to, Tom, do you have anything more to say about this game before we kind of bring it to a close? I do want to make a comment based on what you talked about with the with the stadium and and the noise and the home field advantage. <clears throat> Credit to Baltimore and their fans because they did an amazing job being a home field advantage. I don't think that that is is 
I don't, I don't, I don't look at it as a negative for me. Yes. In a perfect scenario, the Texans are the one seed and we get to be that same crowd, but I also have to give credit to Baltimore and their, and their people for being that home field advantage for their team. Um, I truly believe that the Texans will be good enough one of these days to go out and win a road game in a Kansas City, in a Buffalo, in a Baltimore, in a Pittsburgh, you know what I mean, where they have some of the most ravenous fans in the AFC. That that That's where your team has to be well-coached, ultra-talented, all along, all the positions, and you have to have a leader, the type which I think we have in C.J. Stroud, that can lead past something like that. I'm not going to be like that that one outlet out of Cleveland that, you know, cl- complains that the Texans were pumping in noise. I'm not going to say Baltimore did that. I think they did a fantastic job. I think they were they were a great home crowd. I think that the Texans learned a lesson. I think obviously they're going to you know, work on some things I, with the draft. Safety was something I think I saw the same thing you saw. I was interested in in uh, the guy out of Miami. I think he could be a great addition. But to to kind of finish that up, I really feel like in a perfect scenario, the Texans just get to take the best available player, and it's we not based on that. it's I not agree. based on need. It's it's oh my god, they took uh, a corner and they brought Nelson back, and now they have you know he's the nickel corner now or whatever. That guy can be multifaceted. Or they got an edge rusher and they brought back Renard, but they didn't bring back Hughes and Barnett. And now they have three young guys that they can kind of build around and he can be the swing guy or something like that. Um, we could talk about them taking a running back, you know, and and maybe they just decide they're not going to – or they can't bring Singletary back. So there's just so many different ways. Obviously, I love the idea of, of staying in the trenches because as great as I thought um, – Khalil Davis and Sheldon Rankins played, they may be gone. And then you got to fill in that spot. So there's, there's, there's plenty of things where they could just bring the guy back. And then I'm not looking at that position or they could draft and not bring that guy back. They've got cap space and draft picks to do all the things where some teams are going to be constrained and can't do the things. So I'm incredibly excited for that. Yeah, there's a lot of clarity to be saw. Any mock drafts happening at this point are just for, sheerly for fun. And you'll notice, I, I agree with you, that the the drafting the best player available, I, I'm going to be carrying that mentality into a lot of my mock drafts. So if you follow me on social media, on Twitter in particular, um, you'll see my mock drafts and you'll be like, why would they draft that guy that's not like the position they need? But I'm looking based off the highest rated player that is available that I think reasonably fits what the Texans need and is, you know, Obviously, they're not going to go out and draft J.J. McCarthy in the third round because that's the best player available. Like That doesn't make any sense. But So that's what you can expect to see from me. And on that note, um, just a couple of stuff that's, or a couple of things that are coming up. Obviously, we've been in a format of doing um, recaps and previews, um, and that's not going to continue due to the fact that there's nothing to recap or preview. Um, so a lot of our off-season content will center around going live um, and you know, just talking obviously about major happenings throughout the off season, uh, and it'll probably shift to once a week. You know, just a little less uh, rigorous due to the fact that we're in the off season. Um, but this this Wednesday, we do have uh, a live interview with Texans County, a major Instagram account that, uh, in the Texans fan base, and so we're excited to talk to 
Dylan Delgado, who runs the account, um, about what he thinks is going on with the team, how he feels about the team's run. Um, and yeah, if you want to find us on social media, I am at M1 Texans fan. That's on X or Twitter, however you want to refer to it. If you're talking to Tom, just don't call it X. Um, or don't call it X to me. Honestly, I'll forget what you're talking about. I won't, I won't pick up on it. I don't know why I even referred to it as X right there, but, uh, also Instagram, TikTok, and that's how you can find the YouTube channel. Um, and if you'd like to listen to the podcast, it's on Spotify and, and Apple podcasts. Uh, Tom is at third coast, Tom on Twitter. And, it, and I recommend following him and me to get the latest scoops on what's going on with the bullpen throughout the off season. Thanks for listening, and until next time, Vamos Texans. Thanks for tuning in to The Bullpen, a Texans podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Please like, comment, subscribe, and follow along for more Texans talk from The Bullpen. Pick the handle.